There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Claire Twenty, and well, welcome to a very special episode of Just Make the Thing, a podcast for people who want to start a thing and keep on making it. On today's episode, I get to interview one of Australia's best-loved comedians, Will Anderson. And for the record, my husband man, James, listened to this bloke's radio show every day on his way to high school. From breakfast radio to endless stand-up gigs to hosting the ABC TV show, The Gruen Transfer, Will's 20-plus year career has been nothing short of excellent. I mean, the guy has won the People's Choice Award for the Melbourne Comedy Festival nine times in a row. What surprised me, though, the most about hanging out with Will at his house for the day was his warmth, openness and generosity. And I know this is going to sound silly, but he's just so funny. I mean, really funny. His brain is incredible to watch in full flight. We were there for four hours and he stood firing quips, jokes and in-depth opinions on everything from Batman to politics and social commentary without drawing breath. The guy's a machine, made all the more awe-inspiring by the fact that he battles chronic back pain, so needs to stand rather than sit for long stretches. This actually, as you'll hear in the episode, relates a little bit to an incident that happened on a plane for him just a few weeks ago. Um, You can find out more about it online, but it is a really interesting discussion about what happened after the plane incident. His podcast studio is literally packed floor to ceiling with towers of books, board games and memorabilia. And I have to say, meeting Will was pretty great, but his two dogs were by far my favourites. Those two have some serious personality and you'll hear Ramona having her say in the episode. She puts our podcast dog to shame. I was so fascinated by our conversation that we nearly missed our flight home to Melbourne from Sydney. So I really hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Here is... Episode 5 of Just Make the Thing with Will Bloody Anderson. I am here at Will Anderson's house, which is kind of amazing. So, how are you today? Oh, well, thank you for coming to my house. I appreciate (laughs) that. Thank you for uh, enjoying it. I like it. It's uh, the only house that I've ever owned. Uh, I don't really own, you know, all of it yet. Like the bank technically owns about half of it still, (laughs) but the bit we're in and probably to the house, we can definitely definitely at least claim that much. I I think I own a backyard and like an office area. Yeah. Well, if you're going to own a bit of it, this is a pretty cool bit. We're in a studio. It's really awesome. Well, I work from home. So um, obviously for me, it's nice to have a separate space, Mm. you know, like, so um, previously, you know, when you work from home, I might have like a room in the house or whatever, but it's really nice for me to be able to get up, particularly in the morning because I'm an early riser. So I'll often just like, you know, when I get up, I'll head out here. Maybe one of the dogs will come out like behind (laughs) you and come and sit out and keep me company. They are the best dogs. They've just been sitting, chilling out. They certainly, well, they spend a lot of time in here while I'm podcasting. So they, I think they understand what's going on at this point, but, um, (laughs) it's nice to have a separate 
separate space where you can sort of just go to somewhere and go, okay, oh, well, this is nice. I'm this at work now. This is my now. space. This yeah. is where I am. Cool. Because you make a lot of things and this podcast is all about making things. So my first question was really, why do you make so many things? Like you've had such a long career. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, to be honest, like that's where it always starts is just making stuff. Like I've never had really any idea about what things will be successful and I don't really measure them in that way. Like, I mean, I put as much work into the free podcast as I do do things that <laughs> other people are paying me quite a deal of money yeah. to do. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they wouldn't like to hear that, but <laughs> I never really judge anything on based on like, this is the financial reward I will mm. get for this. If I'm doing a stand-up show, I put the amount of work into it that I think needs to be put into it to do a good stand-up show. It's the same with the podcast and stuff. It's why my Willosophy podcast comes out so irregularly. Mm. It's just because I only do it when I have time yeah. To do it, you know, like that's yeah. the life that I live. The, the the nature of like I like doing it, but sometimes you just run out of time to to, to do, do things. All the things that you want to do. And the other thing with creative time is that sometimes you've got to creative time can be very selfish. So for me, you know, I've got to be aware of the fact that like there's someone who actually lives in this house with me <laughs> who would like to have a conversation with me that perhaps, you yeah. know, I shouldn't be having eight conversations out the back of the house and, <laughs> yeah. and not having a couple inside the actual house. Yeah, that's probably a fair enough point. I live with someone who's very much like that. I have to remind him that he's actually a person in house with other people to talk to. So, yeah, I, like yeah. Amy has threatened a couple of times that we have to start a podcast, even though <laughs> even though she would hate that. Like it would have to be an yeah. unrecorded podcast. Like it would have to be, which would be good actually because that goes to my skill set because I'm very bad at recording things. <laughs> yeah, you are. I found that out today. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, there's certainly, you have to balance those things. So sometimes I do feel like I can... Um, be a little bit too selfish about that. Like, you know, I create a lot of things and I have a list of, you know, eight or nine other things that if I ever had the time or inclination, I would get to as well. So for me, it's always one of those things like holidays are hard because, yeah. you know, like I don't actually have extra time. I have all these other projects that I've been thinking about for years that yeah. I never have time to get to. Do you worry that there'll be things that you'll never be able to do? Oh, there are already. There wow. are things already that I've passed the point of, you know, when I would have done that. Like yeah. I had an idea for a movie about a decade ago that I think would have been really cool, but I think that would have sent my life in a, you know, in a different direction, you know, regardless, yeah. even just the process of it. Like yeah. I've seen Charlie, you know, my on-air partner mm. go through the process of getting an independent film funded. And it's like five, six, you know, seven years, you know, of like really working on this script and, you know, the trials yeah. and tribulations of making it all work. So you know, there are plenty of things that I've got. I'd love to write a book about that, or I would have loved to write a movie about that, or I'd love to, you know, learn how to act and act in a TV show <laughs> yeah. that's about this. But some of those things I've kind of got on. I'm already at the point where that's never going to happen. Wow. Do you, do you ever worry that your ideas will run up? Like that'll be it, that there's no more ideas? Oh, no, 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 no. That's never been my problem. Like yeah. I don't know if any of them are any good. There may well <laughs> be a time where people don't think any of them are any good anymore. But mm. I don't think there'll ever be a time where I run out of ideas because everything is ideas. Like everything you know, sparks conversations. Everything sparks in my mind something else. You go, oh, this would be a good idea. This would be a cool – like the amount of times I now – oh, you know what, I'm just – <laughs> That's like our podcast dog. They're yeah, she loves uh, Ramona. Loves bottles. 
So she, she <laughs> spotted one in the bin. She's got a keen eye for a bottle. She's a keen recycler. <laughs> she must she be was, She was, yeah, auditioned as the original host of the uh, the War on Waste. Craig, Roos- <laughs> Craig Rucastle got the job. I think wow. Ramona would have done an equally important job. Oh, She's trying think. to destroy a plastic bottle in a symbolism that I should not have bought it in the first place. <laughs> and she can bend almost all the way backwards and look at you backwards. I'm very impressed by that. Yeah. I mean, technically, I don't know if she's meant to do that, but (laughs) she certainly does do it. She is very cool. So I guess we were talking about ideas. I'm really interested in whether you think the ideas are all inside your head or just from things you listen to or whether ideas are kind of external things that you kind of have to tune into. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I I mean, I don't know what the answer is. I think it's probably a combination of both of those things. Mm. Like I often find, you know, when I'm working, what will happen is I will sit at my desk for a while and I'll have some idea or some thought about something that I think is the way that it's meant to go. Mm. But I often find if you're in that environment, what you're doing is actually just repeating previous processes, Right. Mm, So this is the way that I did it previously. So now I'm trying to do a different version of that thing that I did previously. Right. Um, Often the better ideas come when I say step away from the desk. You know, I'll go out and I'll just clean the pool or play with the dogs or whatever. And then something just in that process, when you're now not actively thinking about the thing, but you've done the work, Mm. you know, the sort of background. So clearly in your mind, it is working on the thing. Yeah, yeah. And then suddenly, when I used to run, when I used to jog, often in the middle of the jog, you'd suddenly go, ah, that's it. That's what that's meant to be. Now I get it. Now I get it. Uh, Swimming. That was another one, which is the worst because you have no notepad, you have nothing. So then you either go, I have to cut short my swim. I always used to hate (laughs) if I had a good idea early in a swim because I either had to cut this like the swim i just get out of the water and write down this idea or then for the next like hour of the swim all you're doing in your head is go remember that idea i cannot (laughs) think about anything else anymore just remember that idea that you're gonna write down that's so why do you think that is do you think that's because your subconscious brain's just hanging out in there and that's when the real work happens uh i think it's like we're thinking about it so so i don't know what's a good analogy driving right Mm. when you first Uh, get your license you have been judged by a system we come up with as a society of being competent enough to be on the road by yourself in charge of a vehicle yeah but the truth is you're still at a point probably for most people that you have to think about driving Yes. So you have to think about the idea that like, you know, check the rear vision mirror or make sure that it goes from this gear or I've got to like, you know, think about these things. Whereas the point where you've been driving for years that you can just drive. So if an accident or a situation arose, hopefully instinctively you'd be able to handle that situation. Mm. I think often when we're writing or we're trying to construct something, we're still in that sort of, you know, you've just learnt to drive. You're still checking the review mirror. You're going, does this have structure? Does this have content? Does this have form? Whereas sometimes it's about going, okay, I have all the information I need now. Okay, here's a better analogy. That's a terrible one. I'm going to go <laughs> like with a better that one. one. No, it kind of makes sense to me. Uh, the difference between following a recipe and being able to cook. Yes. Right. You know, yeah, so some instinct. people, some people, if they get their mystery box on MasterChef and the chef and they have like a list of like the recipe things, they can replicate that. They can follow that instruction book and you can cook and you can make something really nice that you made yourself, but yeah. you're kind of following a recipe. 
Yeah, Whereas yeah. you get to a point sometimes where you can go, okay, well, with these ingredients, I'm just going to like taste it a bit. I'm going to like, you know, traditionally I put sugar in here, but you know what? I, I've tasted it and I think the raspberries are sweet enough that I don't need sugar <laughs> and maybe yeah, I'll yeah. go in a different direction. Yeah. I think that's when it gets just a little bit more interesting. Yeah, when you're kind of experimenting and trialing it. And I noticed that you, from my perspective, seem really comfortable being off the cuff and like in your element when you're just running with things rather than necessarily scripted. Do you do you enjoy it more when you're kind of podcasting and on the cuff, off the cuff, or do you like having it planned like a script, like maybe the Gruen transfer? No. I mean, well, even the bits I like most about Gruen are the unscripted bits of it. Yeah. Because essentially, like, there is a structure, there is a spine to Gruen, but at its best are the times where it's going to places that you don't think it's going to go. So for most of that, for most of the comedy element, the way we construct that show is we kind of make the show first and then we just add the comedy on as icing. Mm. So we never make a choice on something going, oh, this will be good for comedy. We make a choice going, this is interesting for the... This is interesting for the show we make, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think, to be honest, she was quiet through all the other yeah, podcasts. She's so so great. I really think it's you she's missing. <laughs> yeah. Because you were paying her a lot of attention during that time. I know, and now she's you're just not. like, oh, now she's not. Yeah, see, I, yeah, to I don't me. think, yeah, see, James wasn't doing his bit. <laughs> You've got to do a little dog care of your own. You've got to, absolutely. Oh, yeah, back rub would be good. She'll enjoy a back rub. Yeah. She'll be into that, definitely. Oh, and that's kind of her main so thing that she likes. so happy. Yeah, there you it. go. See, yeah. look at that. That's all right. So, yeah. <laughs> do you ever surprise yourself with things that come out of your brain? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, of course. Um, like on stage and stuff, like I had uh, it, it quite, will become probably quite a famous incident in my work where I was <laughs> yeah. uh, kicked off a plane. Well, not kicked off a plane. That's not true. I was arrested at yeah. the end of a flight um, through a series of misadventures that turned out weren't my fault, mm. um, ended up uh, yeah, being arrested, went to a police station uh, and had to do a show in Wagga that night. So it was out, cleared and had to end up like going and doing the show. And the first 15 minutes of that show, so I've had an audience waiting for half an hour, like I'm half an hour late yeah. and they all know in the audience because it's happened in the last couple of hours. Oh, everyone knows I'm late. Oh, so everyone's they, got their phones. Yeah. They know. And it goes around. So literally now I've got five, 400, 500 people in an audience yeah. who know nothing about what's happened but all know that something has happened, right? Yeah, like, yeah. And I walked down on stage that night and the first 15 minutes of that show were about what, what had happened, happened, right? Oh, I first know first that. 15 minutes. Completely off the top of my head. Completely. And it was fun. Like, I mean, there was honestly bits in the rest of the show where they weren't laughing as much as the first stuff. And I was like, <laughs> I better refer back to that first yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah. Because if you're in the moment, like I like to look at comedy a little bit like surfing, right? Yeah, like, with your analogies at the moment, I love but, it. Well, in that idea that at its best, it's you and the ocean, right? Mm. So, like, you can be a very technically skilled sur surfer, but if you don't have the timing to catch the right waves, it doesn't matter what you can do once you're out there, right? Mm. Yeah. So, you've got to be kind of in tune with the ocean to actually do it properly. And then mm. you can surf big waves, you can surf little waves, but you've got to surf to get in the conditions. And comedy at its best is a conversation in that same way. It's you and the audience. I mean, you're doing all the talking, but they're talking too. They're talking in the way that they react to you. So like half of comedy is just listening. Like half of it is just listening to what they like or what they don't like or how they're reacting. Like so much of comedy, like this is the thing you realize about those moments is so many times the joke is just that I'm calling what everybody's thinking. You know, the <laughs> joke is that I am so in this moment because I'm not trying to rep 
I always talk about comedy as being two very different skills. Mm. One is creation, one is replication, mm. right? Mm. So essentially, like, it's very, like, so when I'm writing a show, a lot of it's about creation. Often on stage, you're riffing ideas or you're writing things or you're trying things that are untested, those sort of things. Yeah. But eventually, I get to the point where I go, okay, at its best, this is how this joke works. And at its best, this is how this joke works. And when I say this, I'll react like this. And when I say this, and then after a while, if you're doing like 100 shows in a row, you can literally just go, this is how it'll go pretty much every night, right? Wow. Well, that's not yeah. creation anymore, really. Mm. It's replication. That's mm. me going out there and sort of going, if I do this, this, and this, they'll enjoy that. But at some stage, that show was creation. At some stage, it was me just purely listening to the audience and going, what is it that you guys need now? Yeah. At its best, it's when you can get to that second point, but still make it feel like it's that first point. So you can be doing replication, but you can be listening to them in a way that it still feels like it's creating. You're reacting to their reaction to that or to the way that they, you know, went with that one or didn't go with that one or dropped off that or whatever. You know, you're going to tailor it a little bit more to them. Yeah. Do you have a favourite moment on stage or a favourite set that you did or a moment that you remember that you went, yeah, nailed that, proud of that? Well, I've got to be honest with you. This Wagga 15 minutes was probably, to me, I was like, this is, okay, this is it. This is kind of as cool and fun and whatever as this ever gets. Like, regardless of whatever's happened up until this point, in a purely comedic experience, you've got everyone in the room who definitely wants to hear about it. You are in the moment, so all my reactions are completely natural Genuine. at that point you yeah. know they're not me recreating what i thought the moment was it is actually the moment but mm -hmm. enough things have happened if i just keep talking that they're they're interested in it to me that's a brilliant moment but how the fuck do i recreate that yeah. like i don't want to <laughs> yeah. have to get like arrested on every flight no. just so i can have like a good first 15 minutes of local material no. you know you don't have to answer this but what was it like to be arrested shocking it really was shocking. That was the thing that it was to me because I just never imagined that I would be. You know, mm. I'm 43 years old. I feel like my getting arrested days were behind me. <laughs> if there were going to be getting arrested days, and yeah. there could have been some, you know, like, yeah. or I thought maybe like later in life when I had like a beard and a ponytail and maybe I'd chain myself to a tree or something. <laughs> I feel like maybe that's when I get arrested, but I do not feel it would be an in-between thing. Um, the main feeling I had at the time was confusion because mm. I was... Like, because the whole thing had kind of happened and, you know, um, I'm going to tell the story uh, in my comedy festival show next year. We're legal. It's yeah. even a good pun. <laughs> but I... Uh, good plug, good plug. But um, I, through most of it, I was confused because I was like of the opinion that the whole thing had been a misunderstanding. Mm -hmm. So I was confused and I was acting in the way of somebody who, like, all my friends have got so mad at me, particularly my law lawyer friends, because I didn't... Uh, like they said I could have a lawyer and I didn't ask for someone because I was just so convinced that if I just explained to people like what had happened, Logically. that it would all be fine. And I've got to say for the record, that's how it turned out. Like, so mm. for, for anything that happened before then, I must say that the process that you meant to, like yeah, they tell you, just be honest and just say what happened and you'll be treated fairly by the police and blah, blah, blah. I mean, that happened to me. Like, mm. I feel like that is the process that I went through, but um, I, I've had a range of conflicting emotions since. It's been a real journey for me. Like a journey, yeah. Like a MasterChef journey. No, <laughs> but it has been. Uh, it really yeah. does feel like that. Like it feels like like there's been so many times I've blamed myself, even though I probably shouldn't, but I have regardless. Mm. Um, I've had times where I felt really sorry for myself. I've had times where I'm just like, 
come on, you're going to write an entire show about this. It's a really good angle for the press at the end of the day. No harm done. <laughs> you're fine. Like you're a white, you know, employed man in Australia. You got the treatment. You know, imagine if it was Briggs. Imagine if it was Nazim Hussain, you know. Maybe mm. they would not have got the exact same treatment that I got in that situation and like the fact that, you know, everything was fine for me. I was treated really well and politely. They got me to my show. I yeah. mean, you know, at the end of the day, everything that happened post then, happened quite well. So I'm grateful of that. I'm grateful of the fact that I'll have a show. Mm. Um, but I'm not quite at the point where it's funny for me yet. Yeah. I'm I'm at the point still where and here's the thing. It's it's so weird when you do this job. Because pr- probably if you were going to look at it from the outside, an injustice was done to me. Mm. But when you do this sort of job, to be honest, the greatest thing that could happen to you is an injustice. <laughs> like, I mean, like, to be honest, to, like yeah. to talk in a show, something interesting you're talking about, getting arrested for something that I shouldn't have got arrested for. <laughs> it's a great hook. Yeah. I mean, it was a terrible thing to go through, but it'll yeah. be a fucking great show. Like, oh, I mean, yeah. so I'm trying to put myself in the position of the person down the line <laughs> who is enjoying and grateful of this moment, even though it's Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Sometimes I don't feel like that at the moment. Yeah. Do, do you think that in the end, because I know there is that whole thing about being a tortured artist and some people think to be able to create art, you need to be twisted and tortured and have like dark times. When are you best when you're creating? Has that has this sort of helped you create or has it been a blocking for you to create? Uh, I mean, it's, it's great to I mean, it is great to create. That's no doubt. Because what you're thinking about at all times is this thing. You're inside your head. And I mm. was also had the double bonus of like I had hurt my back really badly. And also, you know, my partner is away overseas. So I'm at home by myself in pain, not able to get in a car or travel anywhere and see people, yeah. but also going through this thing at the same time. So in some ways, yeah, creatively, I mean, I wrote like the average comedy festival show eventually would be about seven, seven and a half thousand words. Like in the first three days, I wrote like 9,000 words of notes. Like just as I would jot down whatever was going through my head. So creatively, yes, but that's not what I want to replicate every night when I go out there. Like I don't want to feel like that every night. If I want to do this show and do it every night, I've got to get to a point where I can reflect what I was feeling at the time. Like, Mm. and I can talk about all those interesting things. Because I think it is interesting to talk about the things that I did wrong as well or the things that I would have done differently or, you know, how it actually happened and be able to tell that sort of story. Mm. And so, like, artistically, they're all really great colours to paint with, but I don't want to have to fucking relive that moment every night, every night that I do that show. So sometime between now, like now where that's all raw and I'm Mm. writing down all the, you know, darkest thoughts I have about that, eventually I want to be in a place where I can now go, okay, now let's make in, this into an entertaining yeah. show that people yeah. can enjoy. I got arrested and it yeah. was hilarious. Yeah. And it's actually not that funny no, in not, the moment. Not yet. 
Not yet. I mean, yeah. I did think for a while it was just going to be me and Margaret Court on the one <laughs> plane, but I think it's all going to be fine. <laughs> I think you're going to be fine, Will Anderson. But do you, I wanted to ask you a little bit actually, and, and you can also not answer this if you don't want to, but I know that you do get a lot of pain with your back. How does that, does, how does creativity factor into that or what you write and what you create when you are dealing with um, I guess an illness or or yeah a difficulty with that side of things. Well, I, t- I I talk about it a lot because I mean most like the great thing is like you know I mean honestly I I will go to my doctor regularly because I've never not like gone to the doctor and come out with a hilarious story. Like sometimes <laughs> yeah. I'm just like let's go and get the back checked up. Something will happen, you know. <laughs> let's raise the stakes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean honestly, three years in a row, I thought my doctor should have got paid a bit of the show because <laughs> like three of the funniest bits were all things that had happened when I'd gone to see him. Um, it's been inconvenient for me, but three million three million Australians suffer from what they call chronic pain, mm. and the thing that it tries to give me an understanding of, which was why the airplane thing, like was so disturbing to me was I like to think that I'm a person who lives my life not trying to like have like bad interactions with people because you never know what pain they're experiencing in their life Mm -hmm. like you don't know what pain it was for someone to get to work that day or what pain or what sort of day that they've had like Mm -hmm. one of my big things is and that was the thing about this incident that kind of came back to me and haunted me over and over because even afterwards there were some people who were like you know you should sue them and this you should be demanding an apology and blah blah Mm -hmm. blah I said one of my major principles in life is I don't want to be anyone's worst day at work like I just Mm -hmm. And I don't care who it is. If it's the person I get the coffee from in the morning or whoever it is, I just don't want to be the asshole they complain about when they go home to their partner, you know. I don't yeah. want to be that. And on this day, for I was that for these people at least, right? Yeah. You know, and so even if I didn't feel like it was my fault, I still felt that. I felt like, and I certainly didn't want to, and when I do the show and stuff, I'm not, well, A, it's not about them anyway and what happened. You know, the, the rest of it will be about, you know, me being an idiot and what happened there. But also, I don't feel any vindictiveness or whatever to, like, these people. Obviously, on that day, they ticked a check load of things that they thought they were having a terrible day. And if yeah. they really thought they were having a terrible day, they weren't. But as it turns out, they thought they were, right? Imagine yeah. how terrifying that might be to somebody, that you thought something terrifying was happening. Right. So I try to have some understanding of that. And that was like, you know, so, so the pain thing is the same. I just try to talk about it a bit less for me, less for me going, Hey, this is what my life's like. Cause my life's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, more that I know there's a lot of people who have chronic pain. And if you can talk about it in a fun way, and I know this because I get like a heap of letters from people who tell me this thing. And I also get a heap of crazy cures from people <laughs> like a heap. Like wow. so many crazy hip cures, you would not believe. <laughs> Just the magic crystals and then the crystals will make you better. Well, it's one of those things too where like people are so nice. Like, you know, so you will get like some granny or whatever who's Aww. like, oh, well, I keep the beef fat from when I'm making soup and you rub that <laughs> on you and you're like, well, I appreciate that you cared enough to share, but yeah, that won't so be what nice. I'm doing. You sound like a great bloke, Williamson. <laughs> you do. Well, no, 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 no. That's not, No. Definitely no. not the case. Um, <laughs> no, but I think that well, as it in takes like a no, big but person. but I don't think that anybody think is. Too. My point is, oh, like I I don't think that any. I think we're all like the idea that people are one thing or another thing. Uh, I mean, it literally goes to that idea, right? Mm. Which is that you're not the same thing to 
everyone and you never can be. Mm. But you can be the nicest person in the world, mm. but there'll be someone you had an interaction with who thinks, thinks you're, you're an asshole. asshole. Yeah. Because for that yeah. day, for that moment, whatever happened between us, like it didn't work. And it happens all the time. Like you can be the nicest, yeah, good Samaritan in the world, but because you're on your phone every morning to your dying grandmother, <laughs> but your barista thinks you're an asshole because you never get off the phone, yeah. right? Like, you know, not everybody's seeing it from the same perspective. Yeah, it's all about So I think when we think that people are either all good or all bad, that's part of the reason that we can't make any progress on how we should be going forward because we think that people are black and white or, you know, one mm. thing or the other when that is like the furthest from the truth that there can be in any situation. And we see it across our media now. You've either got to hate something or you've got to love it. And it doesn't matter if it's politics or comic books. That's the kind of environment we live in now. Mm, Well, I don't like it. That's not the point of like, you know, so no, I'm uh, extremely, um, you know, flawed in in many ways. And um, what I, what I (laughs) like to think, yes, and this might not be true, but, on times when I get a wake up call to the fact that my behavior has kind of drifted outside what my kind of principles or whatever from my mm. behavior are, that I make a genuine effort to rectify it. Yeah. Like I certainly have made my share of mistakes, um, mm. but I'd like to think if I have one prevailing sort of orthodoxy, it is, well, if I'm confronted by somebody telling me that I did do something wrong, that I will try to firstly entirely understand that and the hurt that like it has been done to that person Mm. and to then make some actual steps to rectify that behavior or whatever it is, you know? And, and that's, I think what, for me, that would be what I would ask of people first. Just like, just try that first. Like there's still going to be a bunch of other things we won't agree on and there'll be points where we can (laughs) never get people together and all those sort of things. But maybe, you know, it's nice when someone gives you that chance for a start. Like, it's nice if you make a mistake and somebody, instead of like saying, well, you're the worst person in the entire world, says, I reckon this is probably an exception to what you're normally like, but here's how you made me feel or here's how this incident was or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good, op- I think for me, that when I talk to you about the, by the way, can you tell how I, <laughs> I mean, I'm so sorry. They, like, it's a hostage situation, this <laughs> podcast, isn't it? No, I'm really enjoying but it. That's, I mean, that idea like, I think that's why in the days after what happened on the plane, mm. despite, you know, me becoming increasingly kind of confident that my version and the misunderstanding was correct, mm. something happened to even in the misunderstanding. There was a thing that happened at the start of that that triggered the series of events that led to the misunderstanding. I think I would be an idiot if I just went, well, I did nothing wrong and completely that day I was perfect. Like if I didn't spend some time examining what it was I could have done differently or what sort of mood I was in that day or whether I should be, tra- like whatever it is. Mm. Like, I think that's important to do. And then if you recognize that there's a problem in there to, you know, take some time and try to rectify it. Yeah. I, I really liked what you said about how everyone makes mistakes and no one is perfect. And, and you know, people are shades of gray. They're not black and white. And I think that's often the problem at the moment and why we end up with, I'm looking at Trump who's sitting on your desk at the moment, in power because people think that you're either one thing or the other. Um, and and that's the danger, I think, um, with our culture at the moment that we, yeah, you, you can't be multiple things. I know um, for for me, my, my dad was a person like that. Like he was very religious and I'm not, but 
he was also a really deep thinker and, and an academic and lived very ethically and compassionately. Um, and his whole premise was we've got to come from the point where we're more the same than we are different. So, um, you know, he wrote a book called Common Ground, but he also chaired a committee of, inter- of interfaith. So he had people from the Muslim community um, and people from all the different, you know, bits of the Christian faith and and um, representatives from Buddhism just all coming together because all the different religions have things that are in common and then they would lobby the government on, say, religious freedom or freedom of speech. And I think that that... Well, I, itself, I couldn't agree you know, with that more because, like, yeah. essentially what you're saying to people are going, hey... You all believe in God, right? Okay, me too. It's a different, like I believe in a different one, but yeah, yeah, we yeah. all believe in God. You all yeah. believe in God? You all believe like a, some version of do unto others? Yeah? yeah you all yeah. got that one? Yeah, okay. We have a lot in common, guys. Yeah, let's yeah. Let's not concentrate on so much on the, some of the fine print where we have differences. <laughs> We've yeah, got yeah. a lot of core principles that are right on the same page. Yeah, exactly. And I think that yeah. a lot of the time about that's what gets lost in our political debate. And well, in a lot of our debates is that idea of all this stuff that we have in common first. Like, in, in fact, in some ways, I'd love if that's where the debate had to start with all these sort of things. Like, yeah. you know, say, for example, you know, even in like, say, a refugee debate. So that's the one that always says to me, because I'm not a political party person, mm. but I'll, there'll be certain issues that like, so, you know, I like don't think of how Australia treats asylum seekers is to my values. And um, so if you are a party that represents that, it doesn't matter if you're Labor, Liberal or whatever, I'm not going to vote for you. But what we have at the moment is people who go, well, I'm Liberal and I'm Labor, so it doesn't matter what Labor does or what Liberal does, I'm one or the other. Well, that's not meant to be the point. We're meant to be just like in the old days, it used to be this sort of idea of going, well, here's what we want to achieve. We want to make sure that everyone's well-educated. And both sides would be like, we want to make sure that everyone's well-educated. This is our principle. (laughs) And we both agree that everyone should be well-educated. Now, here's our idea about how people are well-educated. And here's our (laughs) idea about how people are well-educated. And then we vote on which we think is the best idea. But Mm. we agree in the first place that everyone should be well-educated. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Yeah, But that's what we're missing now is that bit of going, no, no, let's agree on what we all agree on first. Yeah, that we're all trying to achieve the same thing. Right. Yeah, but we go about it in different ways. It, it really makes me think, because I was a teacher for a long time, that you can see the whole of the political and social landscape on a playground and the way that kids interact and the way you try and solve conflict is, is exactly that. You kind of go, okay, well, guys, we all want to get along and we all want to learn. So who's stopping us from doing that and what's the best way forward? What were you like as a kid? Uh, uh, I don't know. I think there's two things that, that have been handy for me. One is that, like, I'm a kid from a dairy farm. You know, my dad lives on the road he was born on. There was no reason. I never thought that I would be in show business. We had never met anyone in show business before me, really, probably. Mm. You know, my parents probably still, even though they are encouraging, don't understand or ask me too much about what it is I do and how I do it. Uh, There was no template, you know, Mm. for me and what it is that I wanted to do. Um, I think there's two things that I've been lucky about which is clearly there's an inherent ego in the idea of going, I have something that people want to hear, right? Mm. That by itself has to be an ego thing. I am going to stand up on stage and I expect uh, thousands of strangers (laughs) to pay me money 
to see something that everybody does every day for free. I, yeah. I can't even play an instrument, guys. <laughs> Literally, I just think I'm so good at talking <laughs> that you should gather and be silent and pay me to hear me talk, right? Yeah. So there's an inherent arrogance in the fact that that is what I've chosen to do with my life. Mm. But I don't have a great arrogance about myself. Like I've always felt very lucky. Like, you mm. know, for me, you know, as a farm kid, like I had no dreams or expectations about what this would be. So I've kind of, you know, stumbled blindly into every adventure with the same enthusiasm as I did back then. I mean, I remember when we started doing Gruen, I had a meeting with Andrew Denton at a nearby cafe and he didn't even have an idea for the show. He just said, we want to make a show uh, that gives people the tools to understand advertising in the same way as Frontline gave people the tools to understand uh, current affairs yeah. shows. And I was like, this is Andrew Denton, uh, who's a hero of mine. And he just referenced one of my favorite shows. And I said, I don't care what it is. I, I rang my manager on my walk back. On my walk back to my apartment, it was 10 minutes away. I rang him and I said, I don't know what the idea of the show is. No one knows yet. But... It's, I want to work with Andrew and this will be fun. I thought it'd go for eight episodes and no one would ever hear of it again. And I'm like mm -hmm. a decade later, I'm still, you know, you know, thinking about this television show. You can't go into things with expectations. Like all, all I've ever done is gone. I think that would be fun. Charlie and I started doing TOEFOP because <laughs> we just thought it'd be fun. You know, we just yeah. thought it'd be fun to do. And that's like, that's mostly how I still choose things. I go, would that be fun to do? And you just do yeah. it. And then just do it. And yeah. then hope eventually that you <laughs> can make it something. work. It does not work out for everything, guys. <laughs> That's the lesson. Yeah, yeah. Just to finish, I guess, because this has been such an interesting conversation. And thank you so much for having us here and for having me here and, and chatting and being so open. Um, what advice would you give um, to people out there who want to start a thing or are struggling to keep on making a thing? What advice would you give them? Well, firstly, just, I mean, I reckon the greatest thing of all is just to start with that idea of just loving the thing you're doing. Like, I mean, if you don't love it, how can you expect anybody else will ever love it? Mm. Like, and, you know, art is not meant to be a survey. You know, you're not meant to like, you know, survey a thousand people and find out what they like and then come up with a computer program. Um, I did a speaking uh, i was like hosting this thing and it had some of the it was in this in silicon valley uh in san fran and they had um the futurist whose name i can't remember now he works at google he's their futurist and he's the one the oh, singularity yeah james loves him with all the solar panels and the cars yeah. and the, so yeah. he's speaking yeah, and he's uh he's talking about the fact that when artificial intelligence gets clever enough to take over the thing that might prevent it is is humor because the hardest thing to replicate, the hardest thing to understand and just program is humor because mm, it's so wow. subjective, right? You yeah. can't just, I think it, that's a really good place to start with any sort of art. Stuart Lee, who's a brilliant um, UK comedian, um, always talked about the idea of like uh, the 2000 rule. And he said, if you can get 2000 people to love something enough, that they will pay $50 a year for it. So whether it's a ticket to the show, whether it's a t-shirt, whether it's like whatever your business is, mm. but I'm just using the analogy of yeah, my business, yeah. obviously, you know, yeah, whether it's yeah. being a Patreon subscriber to your podcast, whatever it is. Yeah, but we always think about these mass audiences, right? Yeah. But if you can get 2,000 people to f spend $50 a year, to like you enough to spend $50 a year on your career, that's $100,000. And that means that you can 
you know, fund something, you can have a little project. So often we think about 200,000 people when we should be thinking about how can I make something that 2,000 people love $50 worth? You know, I mean, you know, start by making the thing you do. Yeah. The people who like it, make them really love it. Yeah. Don't, don't fuck them off to have a broader (laughs) audience. Make them love it because the people who really love it, they will buy the t-shirt. They'll buy the poster. They'll, you know, we have people who listen to this podcast who who listen to my podcast, sorry, Tofop, who have been listening, you know, since the start and they've bought everything. (laughs) Like, I mean, they must have some crazy room at their house. (laughs) It's a Tofop palace. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they literally probably only wear Tofop t-shirts to work. Like, I mean, (laughs) because they love it enough. And yeah. I think that's the thing. It doesn't matter what it is. Start out making something great and find a small amount of people who really love it. And if they really love it, they're going to tell people about it anyway. Yeah, great. Oh, thank you so much. That was so great. Okay, Thanks, great. Good. I hope you don't miss your plane. <laughs> no, we might. <laughs> See ya. Well, you've just been listening to an interview on Just Make The Thing with me, Claire Twenty, and Will Anderson. For more of Will, have a listen to his podcasts, among them Tofop, Fofop, and Willosophy. He will also be at the LA Podcast Festival and in Montreal at Just For Laughs with his stand-up show, Critically Will. If you're in the country, I would highly recommend going to see him. Thank you so much again to everyone who has written to us or subscribed to our show. You can find us on iTunes or any of your favorite podcast apps. And we are going to be on YouTube very soon. We'll keep you posted about that. You can also follow what we're doing on Twitter at Make The Thing or on Facebook at Just Make The Thing. And you can email us at justmakethethingpod at gmail.com or contact at planetbcasting.com. And I have to remind you to go and check out some of our other podcasts at www.planetbcasting.com. Okay, I think I've nearly finished with the plugs. Oh, I've been told to say one more thing. If you like our show and you want us to just keep bloody making it, we would love you to write us a review on iTunes. It helps us to keep making it, especially if they're five-star ones. And it also just gives us a bit of a boost. So thank you again to everyone who's been listening and sharing. Um, In our next episode, Chanel will talk through how she managed to score an amazing job. And it's going to be a good episode. So um, I'll talk to you then. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.